Kaslik. They're not moving up here, New Zealand. That's dangerous because Charlotte Kaslik will score a try. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Green and Gold Rugby Show. So what is it? Well, just think of it as that good rugby chat you overheard at the pub that time. My name's Rugby Reg, and welcome to the show. And guess what? It is census time, and the servers are going nuts over down here in Australia. We just can't keep up with it. But so by way of introduction tonight, we're going to do this over the line. So, gents, as an introduction, I want your name, approximate age, and your location for where you watched the gold medal game this morning. Let's start with you, Matt. Mm. It's Matt Rowley. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm about 65 at the moment. Um, I believe I'm still in um, my uh, 40s, should I say. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, today, where did I watch it? So I watched it on the way to work. I was literally streaming it onto my phone, um, walking from um, the ferry um, up to the walk and up to where I'm working at the moment. And um, I was so distracted, I actually got completely lost. Um, and But it was, a, it was a disaster because I didn't want to break the stream and I needed to look in Google Maps to see where I actually was, but I couldn't, so I just stood there. Um, on the street corner watching a <laughs> on my phone <laughs> until it got to half time when I could check where I actually was because that was just so fantastic. It was. What about you, Hugh? Uh, Hugh Cavill, um, a bit younger than Matt, I think we'll say. And um, where was I? I was I was in my office at work. Uh, me and a few, um, a few guys from work, because uh, we have a little bit of involvement in the sevens program, we we thought if we do make the final, then then we will all go into work early. And 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 New Zealand colleague who's also big into sevens, he, he made pancakes for the office, and we had a group of us sit around and and, and watch. And and uh, it was incredible, and the ability to give it to a Kiwi, oh. um, which is such a such a um, rare feeling <laughs> as an Australian <laughs> rugby fan. It was it was very pleasurable and it was so thrilling to watch and everyone and by the time the game was sort of wrapping up there was a lot bigger crowd in the office um, and a lot of you know a lot of the um, people that weren't big sevens fans were coming in and crowding around the TV as well and getting into it and that was that was um, probably the best part. Oh very good well Red Roberts here uh, early 40 shall we say and I uh, I made the decision I I got up early I got up at 3 o'clock 3:30 to watch the uh, the semi-final versus Canada and decided just to power through and and did so and then decided to head off to work early I was going to stay home and watch it here or race into the city and I raced into the city and I couldn't find a place. They had all the big screens but they were tuned to Sunrise and I wasn't convinced they were going to show it so I went to the casino but they wouldn't let me in without my with my backpack and then I finally found the Pig and Whistle and went to the Pig and Whistle um, and it was great. It was quiet first and after that first Kiwi try there was uh, a New Zealander sort of showed his hand and cheered and then all of a sudden within minutes the, the, the place was packed and it was awesome. Great atmosphere. Oh, great. Awesome time. So, look, we, we're going to get into it, guys. There's plenty to talk about, obviously. We're going to go straight to our five burning questions this week, and, the, and we'll go through them again so you can start getting your head around things. But the first burning, burning question is as simple as this. That Aussie woman's sevens gold, how good was it? Number two, what are we going to trade? What would you trade specifically for the men to take on, home the gold? Number three... Uh, we had two Ripper Club Grand Finals in Sydney and Brisbane on the weekend. Is that a sign that the AAU should be investing more into the club system or perhaps continue to leave it on its own? Uh, question four. The Chiefs have had some uh, allegations around inappropriate behaviour on their Mad Monday. Does that taint the supposed golden glow of the Silver Fern? And the last question. Super Rugby season has finished with the Hurricanes win. What grade do you give the Super Rugby season as a whole? 
but let's get straight to it. The Aussie women's sevens gold. Matt, you of uh, the three of us are probably the, the least sevens inclined. <laughs> How good was it, mate? Did you oh, enjoy it? I did. I did. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and it wasn't just the Aussiness of winning a gold, clearly. It was just how well uh, the women played. Um, they have been... I think they've been a revelation for everybody, watching sevens and watching w- women's sport and, and just seeing how just how great they are um, at, at any level. Um, just absolutely excellent and to see... Um, I mean, I thought, thought there were some nerves this morning. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes from them. Uh, they're usually like just, you know, ice machines, the way they uh, perform under pressure usually. And I thought, you know, there was a few things, you know, kickoffs out in the full. Um, the first period of play was really, really ropey. Um, but then their class just came through and they just showed superior uh, athleticism, but then also just... Their, their ability to attack um, was fanta- was just absolutely fantastic. It was it was brilliant. Um, couldn't ask for any better. Such a such a great structure. The, the the way I saw someone tweet today or make the comment somewhere that you know what we want the men to do is learn from this is, is keep your structure, keep your systems in place because that's what these women did and they it paid uh, paid full dividends in the end. Hugh, what about you, mate? You love your sevens, as you say, you're a little bit involved. Did you love this? I did, Reg. I really did. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I was nervous last night. I, oh, I didn't, yeah. didn't sleep well. Um, I, I worked out that I didn't actually have to get up at 3.30 because the, the Channel 7 streaming, the way Channel 7 do it online is actually you can watch full games, and I actually mock-trialed it to get through and that I wouldn't have to see a score or, a, or who was in the final or anything. So I, I got up at 6. I watched the semi-final, um, and that... And I, I didn't sleep well, tossed and turned, and, and um, that gave me a little bit of heart. At least we got to the final. The thing with me was because of the women's sevens, Reg, and you're the same, and Matt has seen a bit of it too, I, I just knew that people were going to love them. And mm. I just wanted them to get to that gold medal game at 8 o'clock um, with so many eyeballs on them because I know that once people see women's sevens, they're going to love it. They're skillful, they're physical, they're hard and fast. It's great to watch. And so I was just wanting them to get to that gold medal game. I didn't so much m- worry about what happened from there. but So once they beat Canada and they saw them off fairly easily in that first half, and I thought, okay, well, they're, gonna, they're in the gold medal game. At least they've got that exposure and at least people are going to know what they are. And anything on top, from, from my perspective, was almost a bonus. And the fact that they managed to dust the Kiwis like that and do it in style too, you know, they, the the score it was close on paper, but in reality the game wasn't close. And and um, I just I just had to to see the reaction from all of these people, the people at work especially that weren't particularly rugby fans, and the people in the street and the people online uh, reacting to the to this that you know that they'd never seen it before and were instant converts. Um, it's it, it was really thrilling for me and. and and it was exactly what I thought would happen, that they saw it, they loved it, and hopefully now it sets it on a, a rocket ship to the stars. And, and let's talk about that. I want to see that. I want to talk about that reaction in a bit, but I just want to get back to this performance and, and the tournament. I guess I have been fortunate. I've watched all the games. And, you know, that first day, we, we thrashed Columbia, but they, you know, they've come dead last in this tournament. So that's an expectation. And we, we you know, we dealt with Fiji pretty easily. And they're, they're by no means any equal to their men's team. So that was to be expected but gee we looked good in that first day but what a reality check it was come the second day when we drew with the yanks 
uh, I think it was 12 all, and that American team looked so good. But there was a defining moment in that one where the the Americans uh, chipped over the top, and their their speedy wingers they had two great wingers, really fast, and one was away, regathered, and was just gone. But I don't know if you've seen the if you've seen the highlights or you watched the game. But then that girl Charlotte Caslick came from nowhere, was one of the, one of the best cover defending tackles you've seen. Um, just timed it perfectly and, and barreled this girl into touch. Um, uh, it was just sensational, and that that just changed the momentum of that game. And from there, Australia fought their way back and took out the draw. Um, and then, obviously, uh, I think it was Spain were defeated in the the quarterfinal. Then, and, and like you say, Hugh, we we just looked a lot better today versus Canada. It was a tougher game; it wasn't all our own way. But Canada, I think, defeated us the last time these two countries played. So, getting through them, you're exactly right. Setting us up for the final that was always going to be so epic. Um, was exactly what it was, and and it was remarkable. I mean, it was such a great thing that the the build up. And I, I was nervous because you know the Kiwis they haven't beaten us all year, I don't believe, but they're big game players, and and, and I really feared a little bit there. But what a performance! And I, I want to talk about a few, you know, and we talk about Kazlik. She's so class, and she's the one I think that's captured everyone's imagination. But that Emma Tanagata, I think she was superb this tournament. She. Uh, seven tries this tournament that really picked up some some big plays. But Emily Cherry, the centre, is just so... I thought she tackled her heart out this game. But the other one was this uh, Alicia Quirk. And I worked it out. She played every minute of every game in this tournament. She's the only Aussie wow. to do so. And, and and that includes, you know, the, the final, which is 10 minutes each half. And I remember seeing her towards the end of that game and she looked out on her feet. And, and so she should have deserved to be because mm. she was immense. She was in the middle, in the heart of everything. She threw that last pass to, um, to uh, who scored that try, Politi, um, uh, in that, uh, in that, uh, was it the the first half there? That crucial try right on half time. So it was a beautiful pass, but she was immense quirk. And, but so much talent in that team. It was just such a good rugby to watch. Yeah. Well, look, one of the things to touch on, just to, as a, uh, just you know, from a brutally honest media perspective, I think one of the reasons why this team could be so important, I think, for women's rugby. And I know this isn't the reason why people would want to talk about it, but is not just because they are so good um, and just so athletically so good and skillfully so good, but it's a good-looking team too, If to be brutally honest. I mean, as far as, you know, the camera loves them. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not talking about big, brutal, hulking women. Um, you know, the, the, the Australian team, very athletic, very solid, and we'll talk about it in a minute probably, won't shy away from contact. But, you know, you've got these flowing pigtails. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, but I think, I think that's – I think you're right, Matt. I think to, to expand on it, I think they've redefined female contact sport, mm. what, it, well, what it means, what you can be within that, and it can be fast and athletic and it doesn't have to be slow and stodgy and physical and only for, only for sort of bigger girls. Like they've, com- they've completely changed the way I think we view female sport. And, and that is what Tim Walsh, the coach of the Aussie Sevens team, came and said, and he, he said it specifically about that tackle I mentioned by Kaslik. He's, and, he, and he's using Kaslik as an example, and, and you're right, she's got the piggy tails and looks anything but an international, the world's best rugby player from a Sevens perspective, is that they've, she's, you know, she's a touch footy player, she's playing rugby, but she has rebranded the game. 
and it's it's he said exactly that it's it's these these girls that look like girls that are sensational athletes and I shouldn't I keep saying girls it's patronizing these women that look like women but they're sensational athletes and at the top of their class I mean she literally has all the skills she's a remarkable player but they're across the board Elliot you know Green is phenomenal and you know Tonegato and they, they all come and they just and, and you hear them interviewed and hear them on camera and they're fantastic people and then you know Walsh has got this great culture around them but they're I think you're right and and what this could mean for the sport in Australia first but also globally and all you have to do is jump on Twitter and, and see some of the, the comments and who was making them it was it was astronomical no it was, it was really really good look the other thing I um I thought that was at, at high stakes in this game was that the um the Kiwis had turned it up just ahead of the match so yeah, yeah Horan the Kiwi uh coach had you know tried to do a mind trick uh, you know, with the with the Aussie team, and said, look, you know, they shy away from contact, and they're not, you know, they don't like it when it when it gets physical. Um, so it was fantastic to see the girls absolutely stand up to that. I must say that I thought the Kiwi team did a very very good job in defence, though. Yeah, um, they did a really good job and actually rattled our women. Um, I think in that first half of the first half. But um, remember also when they they lost. Um uh, their key player and I, Portia I just Woodman. Got, yeah, yeah, Portia Woodman, who's their superstar. So she went to the bin for two minutes, but because of the way the play went, that ended up being about four and a half minutes of play. So that was, and I think we scored two tries in there, which is which was what you'd want to get. But that was still pretty astronomical performance by those Kiwis to, to hold us out as long as they did. Oh, yeah. do you know what that reminded me? The whole game and the and the and the controversy surrounding it in many ways. It just reminded me, it was like a reverse, it was like a Bizarro Bledisloe. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was all, it was the Kiwi coach saying, or, you know, it was the Kiwi saying something slightly silly in the lead up that fired up the, the Australians, on the other hand. And, and then, you know, we got the little decisions went our way. And, you know, the, the, uh, it was the Kiwis committing the, 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 um, cynical penalty. Well, not that they do that anyway, but yeah. they were, they were called on it and they got the yellow card. And that was the crucial, decisive moment. And we, and you know, a, a couple we, of late tries that perhaps flattered the opposition as well. That's right. And they had a, they had a kind of nice moment at the end with the Harker and they had a, you know, it was an honourable second place, and uh, and I said to a few Kiwi mates, "It's like now you know how it feels to finish an honourable second place because it's what we've been doing for a while." <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, actually, you talk about that, Hugh, and it, it even got the whinging going. So within an you know within an hour from New Zealand Herald um, was this uh, article. Who I can't even find. Who's the writer? It doesn't actually say. No one's owning up to it. Um, here's the opening line: New Zealand women's sevens coach Sean uh, Horan is reluctant to blame crucial refereeing blunder. He denied <laughs> loss to Australia in this morning's final. And it goes bloody, bloody, blah. Replay showed Tonegato clearly lost the ball short of the line, but neither Spanish referee Alhambra, Nieves, or her touch judge picked up on the error. Um, and then it goes, Horan said he was not convinced the ruling by Nervous was decisive to the overall result. So there you go. No one apart from the writer of this yeah, exactly. article actually <laughs> thinks that it was a rip-off. Um, but it's something to have a good old whinge about. So that definitely put a smile on my dial this morning. Hey, it was well handled by Horan. For what it's worth, I watched it again tonight and I reckon it was a fair try. So we, we talk about the response and it was amazing some of the comments from various people, you know, Hollywood movie stars and Matthew McConaughey was at the game. It was pretty amazing. Let's touch on where the, what this does for the sport. Let's focus on Australia. I mean, what are the opportunities from this, Hugh? What do, what do we see as where how we can utilise this to, to keep our um, you know, game growing? 
Well, I, I think we've discussed this a bit in the past and talking about the ARU's five-year plan and looking at pushing sevens and Viva sevens as a gateway into rugby. And I think that's what that's what the reaction to the sevens kind of showed is everyone kind of went, oh, this is, you know, I think Andrew Webster in the Sydney Morning Herald, for example, who's a league journalist who who, who does cover some union as well. But he said, you know... When, when there's a trip to Brazil in it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. But... He he's he's a great writer, and he said, you know, the sevens. It was it was it was in some ways. I can't remember the quote, but it it, it was everything. Fifteens rugby isn't at times. You know, it was fast. It was free flowing. It was ball was in play the whole time. It, it, you know, it, it was um yeah exhilarating. And I think that's an emotion that not many people, not many non rugby fans, associate with our game. And and I think that that this is what sevens becomes as an entry point to people that look at rugby and they. They see the scrums and they see the lineouts and they see you know the rucks and the intricacies of the ruck and they put up the the shields and go too hard, too complex, too. I, I can't, I'm not. I can't understand it. Whereas sevens, yeah, look, it's 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 rugby, but without you know those levels of complexity on top of it. And I think people can then start to understand. Okay, understand a ruck if it's in a basic form like that. Understand a lineout. Understand a scrum and build from there. And and I think um, especially for women. It's a great way to start and to learn the game. And so I think and, – and look, the ARU have been out there today. I know they've been sending text messages certainly around Sydney 7s, pushing tickets for that. They've been out working with schools. As I, I, I emailed Bat and Reg that, that my old school, my alma mater, which is a Sydney private school, um, ha, is organising with, with the support of the ARU a 7s day, a community 7s day for, for a couple of weeks' time. And, and that's – Completely unprecedented in, in my time associated with that school that to do something with the support of the ARU and to do something with Sevens, um, and it's clear that they, they've kind of maybe had some bullets in the chamber on this one. And, and today, after the gold medal's been won, they've they've started firing them. So yeah. um, it, it is amazing that your your school should get any support from the ARU. That's, <laughs> how did they find the phone number? That's right. Well, well, we'll see what support what level of support is, whether they just throw a couple of old footies over the fence and drive away, or they actually. <laughs> not that our school really needs them. <laughs> yeah. Your school just throw them back and just go into the uh, go into the store and grab a couple of new ones. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, yeah, from a Queensland perspective, and I know these guys have had the focus on sevens for a while. There's a guy called Lachlan Parkinson who's doing a great job for sevens and has done for a, for a huge uh, while and has had a big role in a lot of the development of some of these Queenslanders. I think there's half a dozen Queenslanders in this squad, maybe a bit more. Um, I know Queenslanders have the structures there. And I remember, mate, when I was back at the QRU, I had an office overlooking that field number two there at Ballymore, and one day there was this schoolgirls sevens tournament on, and I watched most of that day, and the rugby was fantastic. And these were 15-, 16-year-old girls. The skill was much what, you know, not to the same level as we saw these past few days, but at an equivalent equivalent level, and it was great great to watch. So, mate, I think the ARU have to take the bull by the horns, and whatever their five-year plan is, um, they need a to hurry things up with this sevens team because these players, Kaslik and, and, and Green in particular, who are probably the most um, marketable, if I can say that, they, you know, with the gold medal now, they'll be up there. Um, Kaslik's, my mate was texting me today, said five minutes after the game, Kaslik's Instagram, she had 16,000 followers. Within, you know, two hours, that had doubled, you know, or, you know, it was now close to 30,000. So her profile is going to be significant. The ARU should be, one, taking advantage of that, 
but two, recognising that with her and her teammates. Somehow they've got to tap this professional um, base. I don't know what the structure is or whether it's like a, a mini, you know, next year there's a women's AFL league. We'd be careful who we lose to that. The, the uh, women's netball is being refined to a more domestic base, um, more commercialised. They're looking at female rugby league competitions. The women's big Big Bash League is immensely popular and highly commercial. So these are all the challenges you have to be very aware of. But they've got to get these girls, these players, faces in front of the in front of the public because this is a huge opportunity for them to uh, to take this game to a, to another level. Yeah, it's 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 just great, isn't it? I mean, it's finally great to have an asset. You know that that has been so successful in Australian rugby. It's just a, it's and and they are, you have to take some credit for it because yep. the way they recruited for the sevens, the way they built it up, the way they funded it, um, you know, it was streets ahead of what anyone else has done. And the next four years, everyone's going to catch up. Um, so we've got to take advantage of it while it lasts. But um, Talk it's about just. That. Yeah, yeah sorry, I was just going to say, the next, speaking of that, the next four years, those key players, and I reckon these are the core, you know, uh, Tonegade, Kaslik, Dalton, Cherry, Green, 21, 21, 23, 23, 23. This team will be around for a while. There's a couple of veterans, you might call them, Amy Turner and Williams and Parry. They're still, you know, got a few years left in them. But we've got this group of talented athletes with us for a while if we do the right thing by them. And sponsors. Let's get the sponsors oh, you know, lining up. Yeah. You know, let's get the you know your craft beer market. Let's get them in there. Let's sporeple. Let's let's really let's really ramp them ramp them up. I don't know if the guys are ready for that sort of money injection. <laughs> we, we, we don't want it to go to their heads. So look, we we could go on for ages with this women's sevens, and I've spent most of the day um, <laughs> ranting and celebrating and all that sort of stuff. But we should move on because tonight or by the time many people are, are listening to this, it, it'll be last night. The men's sevens get underway. So I guess the question is now, and we, we expected the women to win or we, we had high hopes for the women. The men were not as confident there. The, there's some other teams, uh, Fiji, New Zealand, South Africa, probably more deserving of the medal or not deserving, more um, anticipated to win that medal. So the question is, what would you trade for the men to take home gold as well? Uh, Matt, what about you? Hughes left nut. Um, I was going to say, but then I I realized a couple of things. Obviously, it's not that, you know, it's not that much of a give up to me and it might not be that much of a give up for Australian rugby because we don't know if they work. Um, (laughs) Unlike yourself, especially you, Reg, uh, and and mine, you know, they are proven. But um, with Hughes, they're they're still yet to go around the block. So (laughs) this has gone blue quickly, this podcast, hasn't it? But uh, so I was going to say, and I realised it wasn't giving up much. So then I went serious for a minute, and I said, so what rugby experience or uh, victory that we've had recently in Australia would I trade for this one? Uh, and look, you know, as you guys characterised me earlier, um, you know, I probably feel a bit more around the 15s than I do around the 7s as much as I have really enjoyed the 7s. The one that I was willing to give up, though, was last year's Low win. Uh, that test I would give up. Um, even though I was there and it felt absolutely fantastic and it was brilliant to watch us absolutely smash the Kiwis and to realise that even with minutes to go, we were definitely going to win that test. That was just a fantastic feeling. Mm. Um, I would trade that for the gold tonight because, um, uh, you know, that you know it would just be fantastic to have that double gold. Um, I don't know how much I'd feel like we deserve it, I must say, um, mm. in terms of our form. But, you know, that's not what the Olympics is about. It's about who's, who's there on the day, right? So, anyway, that's, that would be my trade-off. 
Yeah, look, I'm going to jump in before you, Hugh, because mine would be, I think it is a significant opportunity and, and however much I'd love to see Fiji get up and win their first ever gold medal and, and Ben Ryan, I love what he's done with the team, or the Yanks take it out as an outsider, what that would do for the game would be astronomical. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a gold here would be pretty damn handy too. So I'm willing to forgo um, the last major win by any Australian rugby team, which probably takes me back to the forces <laughs> win at the World Club 10 but then I, I feel bad for the force. They need a bit of a lift. So if you take that out of the equation, let me go back a little bit. 2014, the, yeah, the Waratahs Super Rugby. I'm, I'm willing to forego the Waratahs Super Rugby. Oh, I was going to say, Rich. I was going to say 2011, the Reds. <laughs> so unoriginal, Hugh. <laughs> Stolen my thunder. There's not not a huge amount of Australian rugby wins we can trade. There's not a, we have a huge amount of chips we can really push onto the table here. Kind of brings us There's not much in the bank there, is there? No. Yeah. No. Um, no. But um, yeah, look, it'll it'll be big if the men if the men do it. Um, I, I I will be look. It's it's a it's a hypothetical we'd love to see. Um, but yeah, it'll be another enormous shot for the game. I think I think the sevens have, have taken it, the women's have taken it a mile, and the, and the men's will only take it further. I hope they get a bit of prime time airing too, and I hope, you know, it's it's not an inconspicuous exit for them. I hope they get up and, and play a medal game because we know they they're incredibly talented. They've worked incredibly hard the last, especially the last sort of eighteen months when they've got this sort of core of a team with Andy Friend in the last sort of six months or so. And um, look, they, they deserve to give it a red hot crack. So um, I'll, I'll be I'll be cheering them on. Yeah. So and, and again, we'll know these results. But their first round, they take on France and Spain on the first night. So two very winnable games. So hopefully that builds some momentum from a media perspective as they head into their their next clash. Excuse me, on early uh, Thursday morning when they take on South Africa. But wish you all the well, uh, all the best, uh, Andy Friend, who's uh, been on the podcast before, and, and uh, James Stannard as well, a, a good friend of Green and Gold Rugby. So uh, let's hope they bring it home as well. Just jumping in there for a second. Yeah, yeah, man. It's just to remind people. Um, look, there's actually there's an article that we put up today. Oh, good point. Yep. Yeah, which is looking at um, all the different strategies that the top four. So we're putting Australia in the top four men's sevens teams. So then it's got all the strategies that the different teams put in, that, which came from a podcast we actually did with Andy Friend um, a few months back. And in that same post, you can find that podcast or if you go into iTunes or whatever else, just dial back and you'll find um, uh, there's a podcast in there with um, Andy Friend. Um, I can find the actual name of it. But look, you'll see it. It's not too far, uh, not far, too far ago. So if you want to get pumped up and actually sound like, like you know what you're talking about when it comes to sevens, um, find that one. And actually, that's got a link in it to another pod, another article we did out of that podcast, which talks about um, the different uh, players and the different roles that they've got in the team. So, you know, a great way to get, you know, genned up if you're not so flash in sevens like I'm not um, to get some info. That was really, really good. Yep, excellent. Good stuff. Look, let's move on from the global nature of the Olympics and the sevens and get a little bit uh, uh, micro and domestic here. And on this last couple, this last weekend and on Saturday down there in Sydney and then Sunday up here in Brisbane uh, were two pretty wonderful grand final occasions. And, and I guess from a couple of reasons, one was the... Uh, the games themselves, but two was the whole event and atmosphere of these uh, games going to sort of suburban grounds and drawing really big crowds, really impressive crowds. So I'm going to ask you guys about 
the Sydney Grand Final. But the question is, is that a sign that the ARU should be investing more in these and, and helping it grow bigger, or should they be letting things go? The success is there. Let the guys handling it continue to handle it. Matt? Oh, listen, mate, look, yeah, I... We've um, had this discussion, I guess, a few months back, right, when we were talking about uh, when the clubs were saying that they wanted some funding out of the RU that they'd previously got and weren't getting anymore. Um, look, yeah, I do. So I, I think this is the other half of what we were talking about in question one. You know, question one, which is, oh, it's great that the Sevens is there because, as you guys said, it's a gateway. It's a gateway mm. into real rugby because at the end of the day, you know, the big game that's going to count. So the Bledisloe Cup and, you know, the World Cup is still going to be 15s. Um, and that's where the core of rugby is. Um, and I think it will be because I think that's the fuller game. As much as the popcorn of sevens is great, there's only so much of it you can really watch. So I still think that 15s bit is important. And so in the same way that, you know, you and Hugh were calling that, you know, sevens a gateway, well, it's a gateway to something. You've got to have somewhere for those people who get a bit of interest and see the, the women playing and think, oh, great, well, you know, what's, what's that next stage? They need somewhere to go. And without club rugby, what else is it? They can't go to NRC. And if they're not some privileged, um, you know, kid who's gone to a GPS school, then, you know, how else are they doing it? Um, and actually, that's my problem. And that's the thing we discussed earlier, that it can't just be around, you know, talent spotters. They've got to, ta- they've got to spot someone from somewhere. So that's why the, the club game is really, really important. And, I mean, as you said, look, you know, I went to the, I think, I know Hugh went as well. We went along to see uh, North's win for the first time in 41 years, the Premiership um, at North Sydney Oval. Um, it was a great afternoon. There were a couple of little incidents on the hill that kind of marred it a little bit. But, um, you know, it was a great experience. It was brilliant. You know, I literally could walk from my house. Um, there was about eight people that I went with, and I met a whole bunch of other people just from the community that I knew. Mm. I didn't know who was going to be going, um, which was just brilliant. It was really good. I believe there was at least around 10,000 people there, um, and there was probably more than that that flowed through during the day, you know, because the different grades yeah. were sort of playing. So, look, it was, a, it was a brilliant atmosphere. My son got to have an experience of it. Um, including, so he was actually off kind of half watching rugby, half playing Pokemon with his mate. Um, and, 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 and I was kind of sat there watching, I think it was the second grade sort of playing when that scuffle broke out on the hill. And then after about 10 minutes, I thought, oh, geez, you know, I was just thinking to myself, I thought, geez, I just, I hope he wasn't anywhere near that when that sort of happened. Cause I, you know, I didn't have eyes on him. I mean, he's 12, so he's old enough to walk around on his own. And anyway, he came back and he's, and he's like, dad, dad, it was brilliant. We were getting some Pokemon, and this fight started right next to us. And I was like, right, whatever you do, mate, do not tell that to your mum. Right? <laughs> so what do you think was the first thing he said at dinner? Mum, mum, it was brilliant. I'm shooting daggers across the table. Uh, and, as, and he went, oop, and kind of had to, Anyway, so, but it, look, we had, a, um, we had a great afternoon. I guess my whole point, I'll, I'll stop the ramble now, is just that, yeah, I do think we need more of this. And while I think 10,000 is good, I mean – I've had people talk, I've been talking to recently, said, look, they can remember the time in the 90s when, you know, you used to sell out bigger grounds than that um, with Shoot Shield finals. Um, so it's it's not like that's like some revolutionary number of 10,000 people. I mean, you know, you, you, you'd sort of want more. And I think um, anything we can do to strengthen, we need to strengthen that. If that link goes, well, then we're really breaking a link and there's no point having these gateway sevens um, tournaments to what. All right. So, Hugh, what's your feelings? You were there as well. Could yeah. the A do more? Should they do more? Well, look, I think you've got to separate. As we've had this debate, you've got to separate shoot shield from club rugby. 
You know, yeah. like junior clubs, you know, and I totally agree with Matt that we've got to make sure our junior clubs are strong so people want to play sevens, but they can then get into 15s as well. Um, but the thing about the, the debate around shoot shield specifically, which is what guys like Brett Papworth and Bob Dwyer are talking about, um, from watching the grand final, I was up on the hill as well, and it was sensational. Just had a had a beer and a sausage roll, and 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 watched the game. Uh, part of me thought, as the end, as the Norse fans streamed onto the ground, why do we want the ARU anywhere near this? The whole the the glory of it, the whole sort of atmosphere, is all because it's not corporate, because it's so driven by you know the. It, um, the fans and the purest of pure rugby motives of blokes just out there playing for the love of it, playing for you know their clubs and playing for a, a beer and a, a tell a few stories at the end of the day. And and you know I I, I think wh- why do they need a hundred thousand dollars of their AU's money per club? Looking at it, like yeah, look it'd be make it. I'm sure it makes their life easier. But um, I thought that the the appeal of it and and one of the reasons why there were so many people there is because it's this beautiful sort of. Um, last bastion of amateurism in, in, in not only rugby but in sort of sport across Australia where everything's now so corporatized and monetized and sponsorships and contracts and all of this stuff where it's just great to stand back on the hill at North Sydney Oval and, and, and watch a couple of shoot shield clubs tear into each other. So I don't know, that, that's just my sort of thoughts I had from watching the game and um, and yeah, looks by all means put the money into juniors and everything but um yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I just saw it and didn't think that we needed a huge casting flux from that RU. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think we want to keep that rawness down. It's almost like a, uh, a liver cleanse or something for people to get back there for this club. So up here in Brisbane on Sunday at Ballymore on a Sunday afternoon, we had brothers taking on University of Queensland. So not a too dissimilar uh, match-up to what you had down there, the, the Northern Suburbs team taking on the might of the university. Um, and brothers got up as well, 31-28. And, and we had just under 10,000, about 9,500 there. Fantastic atmosphere. Two fantastic traditional clubs have pre- produced a lot of wallabies. But it was just a great game. And, and, and these grand finals have built up, um, you know, over the last few years. I think if you go back probably even only six, seven years ago, they were really quite dull affairs from an atmosphere perspective. But the QAU turned things around and really, I think the key was they really engaged with the clubs. So they, you know, they, they, you know, really encouraged the clubs to come along and sell their own merchandise and get all their juniors along and they do the tunnel and they dress up the grounds and all that sort of stuff and, and really to try and, try and make it like a club day on steroids, so to speak. And um, it's a great time. And, you know, I was lucky enough to commentate this match and um, with a, you know, Tim Horan, who's who's not only a Wallaby legend, but a very proud club man at, from the South Club. And he loved it, was raving about, the, you know, the environment that was able to be captured on that day and it was just uh it's something we want to keep you're right you know there, there, there is a there is an element of um you know marketability and selling this but that's this is rugby at its rawest at its truest form perhaps and and that's as much what we want to sell as as any sort of um you know professional uh, uh you know showpiece event yeah look i mean my bit is would i want the ARU to take that over no yeah. Um, you know, could would some cash injection make sure that um, you know the longevity of those clubs? Even if you didn't change, I'm not saying you know let's put on some showgirls at half time. 
Um, although, mm, but you know, <laughs> you know, if we did it in the French way, maybe. But um, no, so, so I'm not saying anything like that. I mean, geez, we had a bouncy castle at North Sydney, by the way. Um, so <laughs> it was pretty ritzy. Um, although, I mean, I say that jokingly, but it was great. It meant, yeah. you know, for example, one of my mates brought along, and his wife came with their four-year-old, and he got to yep. go on the bouncy castle. You know, that's what yep. kind of brought everyone along. So, no, I'm not looking at talking about making it all ritzy, but I'm, I'm, I am saying that for these clubs, I think a lot of them. You know, they, they work to the margins, right? Um, and look, we're reopening the whole thing. Is you know, if you give them a hundred grand, was it, where does it go? Does it go yeah. into making sure the juniors can play, or does it go to um, payer payments? And actually, that's probably something that leads me on. So there's some interesting news that just came through. I think it was today, um, which no, is it was, it was a few days ago. Was it? Yeah. So what? It was, oh well, okay. It's 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 come on Fox Sports three it's hours. It's mainstream now. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And the, the whole yeah, story. Yeah, no, it, it was handed down. Yeah, so Linfield Rugby Union Club has been given a dishonourable discharge from one of Sydney's best rugby union competitions for cheating. That's one hell of an opening line, isn't it? Um, it's a 97-year-old North Shore Rugby Union Club, and it's basically been sort of kicked out of subbies. And so the, the suspension, the um, uh, the punishment's been given. It's, it's being expelled from all five grades this season, effective immediately. Um, the paid player... Um, is being deregistered from Suburban Rugby for five years. The club recruitment manager is being banned from any on- or off-field position in Suburban Rugby for life. Um, Linfield first grade coach is being banned from on- or off-field position in Suburban Rugby for five years. Um, it would be, yeah, and it's going to be yeah. It's gonna, there's, an, there's a bunch of other stuff, and apparently this is for. The findings relate to a player who's remunerated $600 by a member of the Linfield committee. And the Linfield guys are saying that this was from the, that person's own pocket without the knowledge of the rest of the committee to play three second-grade games and as a substitute in first in two first-grade games. So that's, a, I mean, on the face of it, that looks like a pretty massive san- set of sanctions um, because someone lobbed out 600 bucks. if that's well, actually what yeah. happened. It's on the face of it. It is. It does sound a lot worse than it actually is. Um, they've been kicked out of the competition. Well, the competition's finished for the year, so I think their thirds and their fifths maybe got dumped out of finals. But I don't think any of them were really contenders anyway. Right. They're being dropped a division for next year, but they were going down anyway. Um, you know, the bands uh, sound bad, but really, you know, on or off field position just means he can't be on a club committee. It's not like he can't play. Um, it's one of those things. I mean, the the, the background to this one is just quickly because we don't want to go too off. I was going to say, come on, guys, this is Stubbies, City Suburban New Rugby. Stubbies has, has made a rule where it's they're a hundred percent amateur, and um, these are the first guys to break the rules. So they came down hard, and they've they've been discovered. So um, yeah, bit of bit of a shame for some of the Linfield clubbies down in the low grades that, that haven't done anything wrong. But um, yeah, that's that's the breaks. All right, but uh, wrapping up two cracking grand finals. Congratulations to North uh, Northern Suburbs and Sydney and the Brothers Rugby Club up here in Brisbane uh, for two uh, fantastic wins. And I am sure the boys would still be celebrating hard um, in respective suburbs. Uh, interesting to note that the Tong and Thor Taniela Tupo got man of the match up here in the Brisbane game. He had a, he had a cracker, as did many of his teammates. So um, that's that. Few beers drunk on the weekend, I'm sure, Matt, at these grand finals. And, and as you'd uh, rightly point out, there's some good beer opportunities for uh, listeners of the Green and Gold Rugby Show from uh, Eon Sports Radio and on our podcast. Well, mate, that, that's exactly right. And anyone who was at the uh, the ground at North will know that 
Um, actually, as I was halfway through the beer queue, it went from four beers per person to one, oh. um, which was actually almost caused a riot. But you can skip that and uh, order your own mixed cases of craft beer at 20 bucks off per case um, from the craft beer market. Uh, you can check it out. I'll put the details in where you find the podcast on the website, or if you go to the website, you'll see ads all over the place for the craft beer market um, and get in there. So we've got three different mixed cases. It's all getting ready for the Bledisloe. So in each mixed case, whether it's the, the back line, whether it's the forward pack or whether it's the type five, you get uh, the equal number of Aussie craft beers all mixed and Kiwi craft beers. So, you know, get them, get them into your... Um, and you can drink more than one at a time, as we had to just at um, North Sydney Oval. All right. Well, segueing from that, uh, perhaps this, the the clever idea of limiting it to a one drink per person, we're going to move on to the Chiefs, hey? And the Bledisloe is coming up, and, and there's these allegations flying around. I don't think they're proven yet, but there's a lot of a lot of hearsay being thrown about. Uh, a bit of inappropriate behaviour with some strippers on their Mad Monday. Does this taint this fabulous culture that All Blacks and New Zealand rugby have uh, proclaimed for many years? What's what's going on here, Matt? Are we now in a situation that uh, that the, the silver glow does not glow so far? Well, mate, look, I mean, on the face of things, again, and we've got media reports, uh, I think it's now two different strippers um, yeah. have come in from the Mad Monday uh, that the uh, Chiefs, after their end of season, uh, basically, you know, kind of went out in the town or organised their own fun by the sounds of things, and apparently there was inappropriate touching and disrespecting, and it's uh, it's been played two different ways. Some people have said, well, look, if you're a stripper you know, in that situation, what do you expect? But I think, you know, then other people have said, no, actually there was quite a lot of behaviour. And actually there was even behaviour where I think one of the second rowers from the Chief was then throwing homosexual slurs, um, when I say not um, homophobic slurs um, at, at members of the public, um, which he's then apologised for. So it kind of sounds like they went pretty pretty much off the rails. And that was actually a separate incident, I, I think the day before or a couple of days before, so they're in hot right. water. That was he, yeah, exactly right, but that was a completely separate incident to this one. Yeah, So, but anyway, so it, it goes to your question that you're asking is what does this say about you know, the culture um, and these sorts of places. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's there's all sorts of Mad Monday stuff and I'm sure that the North Sydney boys hadn't have stopped drinking yet. But, um, you know, still I don't think that excuses the sort of allegations of behaviour that's going on here. The one thing it does make me wonder is, you know, in we all know New Zealand's still in the 1950s, right? And yeah, exactly. In the, like in the 1950s, like, you know, whether it was the royalty or as politicians, they could pretty much do anything and, the, the, you know, the media wouldn't really talk about it. You know, it was, it was that, you know, the whole JFK affair thing, right? Yep. Like everyone knew about it, but, you know, none of in the media deemed that it was worth writing about. And I, I do kind of wonder how much of this stuff kind of gets swept away um, if you see a little bit of this. And I probably, I think these incidents do give people a reason to think. Oh, I think you're right. I think the, I think we don't hear half of what goes on in New Zealand rugby because it's this little uh, mafia over there where, you know, they are the centre of the universe and, and, you know, they quite conceivably control, you know, a, a lot of the message getting out there. Hugh, what do you reckon? This is just a, uh, just a little dent in the silverware for the All Blacks or is this perhaps a sign that uh, with Richie and Dan not there to keep an eye on things, uh, things are heading down? Oh, look, I, I don't know. Look, it's one franchise, the Chiefs, and and um, it appears like there are some more systemic problems there, and I think that's the worry. A few things that were said 
and the way that they handled this in the PR and and what the CEO said and you know I think her used the words as as that she, he he referred to the stripper as her standing in the community and culpability is not beyond reproach yeah. as if to say because she's a stripper she she doesn't have any you know doesn't have any rights here like that there's a few things that were really ill thought out and that, and look as Matt said, look, it's it's not like this is radically out of what you would expect from from football players in terms of the activities, not in terms of the the bad behaviour as such. But um, it's yeah, look, it's it's a blow, and guys like Sam Kane being drawn into it, and a few others. I mean, these are all back starters, so it can't be can't be good for them to have it weighing on their mind because it's caused a real stir in New Zealand, and it's gone for about a week now. So. Look, it's it's yeah. I think it is a bit of a, a bit of a, it could be a bit of a dent to the All Blacks because anything that takes their focus off what they've got to do on the twentieth of August is um is is something that plays into the Wallabies' hands. Yeah, there's a bit of scuttlebutt going around. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. someone who you know would be in the frame or is pretty much an incumbent All Black um, starter. Um, you know, probably around the inside back region. Um, you know, it, it, the the questions are being asked is you know if his his non selection would it, it might be being driven by this um, if he isn't selected so it might have some other fallout as you're talking about here yeah it'd be interesting to see mm. look we should uh, we've almost glossed over it but uh, our last burning question you know relates to the Super Rugby season this last weekend I've forgotten about it the the Hurricanes did manage to get up over the lines and congratulations to the Hurricanes on that victory um but uh, we've had other things in our mind I guess since then some club rugby in the in the sevens but if you were to grade this mate um Hugh post season how would you grade the Super Rugby season this year so we're grading the whole season all conferences all or yep. um, I look, I, I think it's probably a B, maybe maybe wow. a C or B minus. I, I, I think the thing is that there's there's been no. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a Hurricanes fan. I'm not or, or a Lions fan. So so obviously it's um the angle I'm coming from here is is a bit different to them. But um I don't think there's been any really compelling storylines running through this season. Um there's you know it, when we look back in years to come and think you know of of twenty. Of, of, as Australian rugby fans of the 2016 season, I don't think anything's going to be jumping out at all, to be honest. I mean, the Brumbies had a half-decent year, but everyone else kind of floundered in the Australian conference. And, and outside of that, you know, I, the Sunwolves and the, the Kings came in, and that's probably what defined it, having these new teams and how much they've struggled. Um, so if that's what's defined the season, the struggle of these new teams... Um, then, then it's probably not not exactly reaching the highest of heights. So I'll say B minus. B minus, Matt. Are you going to be a little bit more harsh on that one? Well, look. First of all, I'll just say, as far as Hugh's concerned, he's actually backed up. We did a, a quick Twitter poll um, earlier today about this, and sort of gave people five options: A um, or B or C or D or E or F fail. And actually, uh, the you know, forty-five percent went for B or C. Which is really? kind, of, okay. kind of smack. Well, I am. I am the voice of the people on this show. Yeah, as, you as are the, the enemy uh, man who went to as it. the tomato sauce survey also showed. <laughs> it just just shows that obviously everyone who voted here went, also went to an elite school. Um, <laughs> but look, um, what score did you go to, Matt? By the <laughs> just a struggler, a battler. Um, <laughs> and um, look, I probably would have put it around a D. I, I, I probably wouldn't say E or F fail. I guess outright. Although I think it. I don't know if the comp keeps expanding forever i think it could end up that way um for me i just 
look, unless you were a Lions supporter, um, and I thought, you know, they had a red hot and they broke some things and they made things um, a bit different. I mean, I actually thought all the Kiwi teams uh, were largely homogenous this year. Um, you know, they played like a very similar brand of sort of more clinical jailbreak murder ball. Um, the whole offload thing has become pretty clinical. Um, the defensive patterns have become pretty clinical. It was pretty much, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're all good. So I'm not trying to say they weren't, they didn't play well, but each time I turned on a Kiwi team, I was watching the same thing. Yeah, different jerseys. Yep. Exactly. And I was just like, hmm, okay. And I think this is going to make them really, really tough when it comes to the All Blacks. But in terms of the Super Comp, that wasn't great. Obviously, the Aussie teams, we had a complete shocker. Um, that didn't help. Uh, and then with the, you know, I don't know what you can say about the South African conferences apart from the Lions. So, you know, all round, I was just like a bit meh. And I just don't think anyone likes the structure. So I, I find it hard to give it above a D. Yeah, I'm with you, Matt. I think it's a D. I think must try harder for next year. So much to it just was uninspiring. And again, it's so much out of sight, out of mind with the uh, the the second two conferences overseas. Yeah, such high expectations for the like of likes of the Jaguars, but you know the 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 Sunwolves. Um, and uh, the Kings uh, from South Africa, just massive disappointments. But who are we to talk? You know, the, the bloody Australians were pretty horrendous too. So uh, let's hope that uh, whatever changes are made, and I don't know if anything would change for next season, but particularly from an Australian perspective, something happens that triggers a, a bit of an inspiration for these teams next year because uh, that was a pretty dire tournament and we want, uh, we want it at its best because when it is at best, it's a fantastic competition. Yeah, I just can't help but think back to the days like, you know, when it was like whenever it was the Super 10s or whatever it was, yep. or, you know, just Super Rugby back then. And it was, you know, and you really felt like it was just that level just below, national, you know, international, right? Because you're watching sort of mega provinces play each other. And it, this just feels so far from that now. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, all right, guys. Look, there, there was some other news in the week, and, and we do want to acknowledge it. And the, we, most people heard about it was the news we heard about uh, Wallaby and Brumby centre Christian Liliafano having been diagnosed with leukaemia. He's a young chap with a, with a very young family. I think he's got a, a child who's only months old, and and uh, is a very, uh, I guess, uh, quick diagnosis. Um, he fell ill pretty quickly and, and, and the diagnosis came, diagnosis came soon after that. There hasn't been much more since then and, and that's what you would expect. This is uh, uh, this for, is for Christian and his family to go through but from on behalf of the Green and Gold Rugby community um, we wish Christian and his family all the very best and hope to see um, him get through a speedy recover, recovery uh, as quickly as he can and, and whether that means he's on the rugby field or not we just hope he's back to health um, and back with his family as soon as he can be. Yeah, well said, Rich. Um, look, we're going to wrap it up soon, but there is some more club finals this weekend in Melbourne. The Quins uh, are taking on the Unicorns at Box Hill, um, which should be, which I think was a replay of the major semi-final, so that'll be a, a good encounter. And in Canberra, uh, the what's going on? I think Tuggeron are playing... Queen being um, so uh, another good final and over in West Australia the finals are just starting this week the NRC is a couple of weeks away and uh, you'll start to see squads named and, and coaches named we saw some in Brisbane and Queensland country named today but uh, all that news will start coming out too which is very exciting and, and that competition, competition is imminent as well so guys it's been a big week of rugby considering there wasn't actually too much rugby on well we easily got through that to that, that hour anyway mate <laughs> 
Oh, you got to be you got to be flagging Reg up since three a.m. Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at the time. Staggering to the finish line here. <laughs> looking at the time and the men's flat twelve o'clock. I'm just trying to work out what I'm going to do. So Punch we'll see how roll, we go. Roll through, Reg. Come on. <laughs> well, you know, it is a public holiday in Brisbane tomorrow with the oh, uh, the, the Ecker on. So oh my god, jammy bastards. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to enjoy that, boys. Uh, let's get behind these Australian Sevens teams. If you're in Melbourne and Canberra, get to the grand finals. Um, Bledisloe, not too far away, and the NRC. Matt, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I should just say, look, our new uh, podcast edition is going to be starting uh, maybe next week or the week after. They just had a slip-up this week. It's still happening. It's still on. Our wrap is going to be coming. Good stuff. And to Hugh, thank you. Cheers, Rich. Gold, gold medal day, gold medal podcast. <laughs> Putting the gold back in green and gold rugby. That's Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Eon Sports Radio or the podcast, and we'll speak to you next week. Cherry has sliced through.